0: to ask you, how is your sight this morning? How's your your sight? I don't mean your eyesight, I mean your heart sight. How's your heart sight this morning? And um, you know, Jesus is concerned not so much with our eyesight as he is with our heart sight. And um, I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but it has been said by a famous philosopher That the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the problem for many of us today is that we have our hearts set on the wrong things, on things like money and wealth and possession and fame. But um, actually, popularity, these things are fleeting. A lot of us suffer from short sightedness short heart-sightedness, short-sightedness not only of the eyes, but also of the heart. So, a lot of the time we can see only the things, the immediate things, that the world has to offer us. And we can't see beyond those things to the kind of treasures that God wants to give us, the treasures of the Holy Spirit. I've just noticed that this doesn't seem to be working, so if I just give a a little nod um, to see if we can go uh, through to the next slide, please. Thank you. Okay, so um, one of the problems that we have as human beings, and it's a problem that Jesus understood only too well, is that our hearts are not focused on the things that really matter in life. We've got bad heart-sight. And this is precisely the issue that Jesus addresses in the passage that Daz has just read from Matthew's Gospel. And with the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, it's as though Jesus is like an optician. He wants to correct our heart-sight and he wants to give us a new set of glasses He wants us to he wants to help us to look at our lives through the eyes of heaven. If we go to the next slide, please. And what's interesting about the Sermon on the Mount is that it is not a list of rules. The Sermon on the Mount is not a list of rules. And if we read Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount as a list of rules, then we'll miss the whole meaning and the force of uh, what Jesus is trying to say to us, his radical message. If we go to the next slide, please. So far from from being a, a set of rules, what the Sermon on the Mount is, in fact, is a vision of an alternative world, a vision of a different world, a world that totally overturns all of our assumptions about what really matters in life. And this new world that Jesus unveils to us in the Sermon on the Mount, it looks rather strange to us, it's rather unusual. And in this alternative world, this is a world where reconciliation is more important than revenge. It's a world where instead of hating people, instead of killing your enemies, You're expected to love your enemies, to lay aside your grievances that you have against your neighbor. And in this alternative world, the desire for wealth is not the driving motivation of people's lives. And so in this new world that Jesus is building, everything is turned on its head. Everything is upside down. And the things that the world considers so desirable, the things like wealth and fame, possessions, popularity, status, worldly reputation, all of these things from the perspective of the kingdom of heaven. As far as the kingdom of God is concerned, these things are about as valuable as trash. So if we go to the next slide, please. In the first part of the sermon, we're going right up to the end of chapter 5 here, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is explaining what life would look like if we really lived in the way that God intends for us. And if we want to live according to the righteousness of the kingdom of God, we want to go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, as Jesus said, it's not enough simply to, to modify our behavior. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sees that the main problem of the human condition is the desires of the heart that lead people to misperceive reality. People live in darkness, people live in sin, and the problem is that we assign ultimate significance to things that are ultimately not significant. To things that have no eternal value. Jesus, you know, Jesus refers to this elsewhere in the Gospels, he refers to it as the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. We we'll go to the next slide, please. And deceitfulness is exactly the right word here, because deceit involves misrepresenting reality, to think something's true when in fact it isn't true. And so, If we deceive people, we we mislead, or we conceal, or we distort the truth about something for the purpose of misleading other people. And this is precisely what the desire for wealth and fame does to us as human beings. It deceives us into giving ultimate significance to things that are ultimately insignificant. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us a way Of bringing our lives back into a proper alignment with reality, with the truth of who God is. And this is the truth of a life that is lived in harmony with the Spirit of God. And like a good doctor, like a good optician, Jesus carefully diagnoses the problem before he prescribes a cure. So what's the cure? Well Jesus says that Each of us, as human beings made in the image of God, each of us has spiritual needs that cannot be satisfied by money or possessions or material things. And money and possessions, Jesus says, can never give us true happiness, can never give us true security. And to think that they can, Jesus says, is the very definition of foolishness. And today we look around us in the world today, everywhere we see people desperately trying to find security in material things, people are pursuing happiness, people are are asking the question, what do I need to buy that will make me happy, that will make me secure? Is it a shiny new car? Is it a large house, a larger house? Is it a nice pair of shoes? Is it a new brand of shampoo or perfume or aftershave? Is it a new handbag? Is it a new smartphone? This is the thing that's gonna make me truly happy. This is what we think. And teenagers today are under so much pressure. And young people are told the lie that if you buy this new pair of trainers, all your classmates will just think you're so cool and you'll be part of the In crowd, you'll be popular. The world tells us that we can be happy and secure if only we buy the right stuff. So what does Jesus say about all of this? Well essentially Jesus says don't be so foolish, correct your heart sight. Don't invest in those things that are passing away after a time, it's all gonna rot away it's all going to end up on the trash pile. That fancy new smartphone that you've just bought, you could drop it down the toilet. Am I the only one that's ever happened to? (laughs) There must be uh, other people, you've you've bought a a nice smart uh, new new phone, you've dropped it down the toilet, and uh, it's good for nothing. What about those um, brand new Nike trainers that you've just bought from the shop and spent hundreds of pounds on. Within a few months, they'll be old and tatty, and you probably just have to throw them away. Or what about that uh, brand new, smart, shiny, white, pristine designer shirt that you've just bought? Your baby son could make a little accident on it. Um, or even a big accident. In fact, such a big accident that you have to wear a blue waistcoat to cover the, uh, the stain where it was. The shirt would otherwise be, be ruined and good for nothing. That shiny new car that has all the fancy trimmings. Porsche, Ferrari, whatever, Nissan micro in my case. <laughs> Regardless, it's all going to just end up as an old clump of rusting junk destined for the scrapyard. And even those savings, if you go to the next slide please um, Sue, so we go to, uh, to, to speak about our savings and, and our pension schemes that we've invested in all of these many years of our lives. All it takes, as we've discovered quite recently, all it takes is for a global financial crash, for the value of these things to disintegrate into nothing. Many of us have a worldly pension. Some of us got a a pension, a pension scheme, a pension fund. Well, how many of us have a heavenly pension? Who, Who here has a heavenly pension? What's the balance of your heavenly pension? It's interesting to think about that, isn't it? If you had an app on your your phone and you could check the balance of your heavenly pension, what kind of treasures have you been able to bank over the years? Jesus warns us that all the money that we've saved so carefully can go up in smoke, either by a downturn in financial markets or by a disastrous mini-budget by an incompetent prime minister, and an inept government, or perhaps our life savings could be hacked by fraudsters who could steal our assets. Who knows what could happen, what lies around the corner? Uh, next slide, please. So, Jesus reminds us that all our earthly treasure is passing away, it's gone before we know it, and the pursuit of earthly treasure is a futile attempt to fill a dark void in our souls that can only be filled by the one true living God. The God who always has our best interests at heart, including by the way, our material interests. And the problem with relying on wealth is that it creates for us an illusion of security and well-being that causes us to trust money rather than to trust the living God. And this is the God who gives us, who's promised to give us all the good things that we need to live. And Jesus says simply, be on your guard. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because the meaning of life does not consist in the abundance of the stuff that you possess next slide please. So if we shouldn't pursue wealth and material possessions then what does Jesus suggest that we should do instead? Well rather than collecting material things in our lives that can either be damaged or stolen from us, Jesus said that we'd we'd do much better to, and he says, store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And what I think that Jesus means here, having tried to get my head around this text, really to understand it in depth, what I think Jesus is saying here is that it's a far better life strategy to invest in those qualities of the spirit, those qualities of character that can't be taken away from us. Those things which are not going to rot away. And Jesus tells us that what matters is not the stuff that we own, the things that we possess, the car that we drive, the house that we live in. What matters is the kind of person we become before God, the kind of character we develop. And it's far wiser to look for spiritual treasure, even if looking for spiritual treasure means that we have to lose some of our material wealth. And Jesus says that cultivating a godly, Christ-like character is worth far more, it's far more important than making money and owning stuff. Next slide, please. Let's take a a quick look, a closer look, at what Jesus says in this passage that that Daz read earlier. Jesus refers to what we might call the the three twos, or the three sets of two. Um, So there's the two treasures, first of all, and then we see um, where Jesus says that whatever you cherish will determine your inner spiritual condition. There's the two eyes, we've got the two treasures, the two eyes, which appear in verses 22 and 23. And Jesus says that if your eyes are set on money, then this will determine the kind of person that you become. And then finally, I think most interestingly, Jesus, in verse 24, Jesus refers to the two masters the two masters and Jesus says that the choice of your master determines the course of your life it determines your conduct your attitude and your behavior and the point here is that Jesus is not interested in our half-hearted faith it's like the hymn it says I surrender all it doesn't say I surrender some it's no use it's, it's, it's a terrible life strategy to say, "Well, I'll give 50% of my life to God, and I'll give the other 50% of my life to my career and, and making lots of money." It doesn't work like that. Jesus dispels this illusion. He says that it's 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 a lie to assume that you can serve both God and money, because you'll you'll love the either love the one and hate the other. And so what Jesus is saying, there can't be any divided loyalties in the kingdom of God. Jesus commands us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what Jesus seems to be saying here, we shouldn't have any other God in our lives, especially not wealth, or fame, or possessions. Jesus and seeking the kingdom of God must always come first. Don't have a divided gaze. Check your heart sight. Make sure that your heart stays focused on the things of the kingdom of God. Prioritize your life. Prioritize your values. The things that you cherish in your life. Make sure that everything is ordered in the right way. So that nothing in this world supplants the one true God as your Lord, Master, And provider. Next slide please. So it's interesting that Jesus refers here to wealth and possessions in verse 24 as a rival God or an idol and he even uses this personalized term mammon. Mammon, it's a word that we don't often hear nowadays. It's it's actually a Hebrew word which means simply wealth or riches and prosperity but in this case, it refers to a Middle Eastern deity, a god or an idol that was, that was worshipped as a god. And in our secular, so-called secular, godless, atheistic, post-Christian world that we're living in today, our consumer culture today, the one god that people still seem to believe in is the god of mammon, the god of material wealth. And this is the God who continues to be worshipped today. And we see how the worship of money and fame has become the dominating force in our age. We see people exhibiting this restless craving for wealth, for the latest gadgets or the latest fashion accessories. And for the kingdom of Mammon, for the sake of the kingdom of Mammon, immense energy is expanded on the de- expended on the development of the material powers of production and consumption in order to serve the god of economic growth. Growth at all costs. Wasn't there a politician recently who said in a headline speech, growth, growth, growth. It's appalling. Growth regardless of the impact on human lives. Growth regardless of the impact on workers' rights or the harmful effects on God's good creation. Next slide, please. And the God of mammon demands, like every idol, demands human sacrifices. Think of the millions of people, even in this relatively affluent country of the UK, the millions of low-paid workers who are being sacrificed whose lives are being destroyed, whose very humanity is being erased. For what purpose? To placate the god of mammon and economic growth. The worship of mammon is seen in devastating income inequalities in our country. The exploitation of the poor by the rich, environmental devastation, And all of this is justified in the name of economic growth. One of the problems that we have, this is the controversial Jesus series that we're preaching on here. One of the problems that we have in not just our country, but throughout the the world today. Problem that we have is that politicians keep getting elected with promises to grow the kingdom of mammon the kingdom of mammon must expand regardless of the human cost regardless of the impact on god's creation and the whole religion of mammon the ideology of economic growth has branded the whole of us the whole life of our society with its sinister mark Just think about the black magic of economics and banking. Nowadays, it's not so much a matter of magicians in black capes pulling rabbits out of hats. It's a case of financial speculators in pinstripe suits playing with fabricated numbers on a computer screen in a fictitious game of stock market speculation. This is the Kingdom of Mammon. And the thing about the Kingdom of Mammon, it's not real. It's not real. It's fantasy. And it's a world of fantasy, illusions, and apparitions. Next slide, please. So Jesus in the Gospels is calling us to abandon the phantom world of illusions, to return to the authentic reality of life in the kingdom of God. Not the deceitfulness of mammon, but the reality and the truth of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, in effect, he's saying, snap out of it. Snap out of it. This isn't real. This isn't real. He's saying to us in in, in the nicest possible way, get real. He's warning us about the deceitfulness of riches, the foolishness of making the acquisition of money and worldly possessions the main goal of our lives. It's as though Jesus is giving us, like a good optician, Jesus is giving us a, a new set of glasses, That helps us to see the world from the perspective of eternity, from the perspective of heaven. So let's listen to Jesus, let's let's take his words to heart. What does Jesus say? Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Trade your earthly treasures for divine approval. And if you do this, you will gain a reward that quite literally no money can buy. What's the reward? The reward of living in the truth, of living in harmony with the kingdom of God, which is life, which is health, which is peace. Remember that the Sermon on the Mount, as Martin said in the introductory video, the Sermon on the Mount isn't about teaching impossible ideals. The Sermon on the Mount, in in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us what are called transforming initiatives, transforming initiatives, things that we can do right now that will help to get our hearts properly aligned with the Kingdom of God to get our lives aligned, back in proper alignment with the truth of God's kingdom, living in harmony with the promptings of the spirit, rather than the promptings of the kingdom of mammon. So, finally, uh, if I could just have the last slide please. Um, uh, so becoming a disciple of the risen Lord Jesus involves undergoing a radical transformation that leads to a life of Christ-like self-denial. And this applies to every area of our lives, including our economic lives, our attitudes towards money and possessions. Jesus calls us to seek first the kingdom of God. And this means living a life of loving obedience That follows Jesus with the same reflex that causes a bird to sing or the heart to beat. Uh, Just the final slide uh, please Sue. So Jesus issues us with the invitation, so the question for us this morning is how are we going to respond? And can I encourage all of us to respond to Jesus, to learn what it means to follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives, including our economic lives. Let's learn to trust Jesus and let's not miss out on Jesus's invitation to participate in the inbreaking of the realization of this new world that God is bringing into being in our midst. So Jesus is calling you, he's calling me this morning. And he's calling you to enter his kingdom, which involves trusting only in him, allowing ourselves to be transformed by his amazing grace. Amen? Amen. How is your heart sight like today? What does it mean to store up for yourself treasures in heaven? What would the world be like if we really lived in the way that God intends for us?